All right, well, good morning again. I am really excited for the opportunity to open the scriptures with you this morning and uh, just thankful for Pastor Mike entrusting me this opportunity and uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, as we enter into the Christmas season here at Shelby, there are various things, uh, various decisions that we are tasked with making together as a body. Uh, Pastor Mike mentioned earlier that we're going to be voting for trustees and for deacons. Uh, this is our opportunity to voice who we want to entrust ourselves to, uh, who we desire to lead us this coming year. And so uh, what Pastor Mike wanted to do is he wanted to go through a series that would help us to solidify the foundations of what we believe about the church. And uh, last week in Matthew chapter 16, he gave us an overview and uh, made a very clear and concise uh, case that Jesus is the foundation of the church. And uh, in the weeks to come, we're going to be talking about the mystery of the church. We're going to talk about the purpose of the church. And the one that I'm really looking forward to that he's going to unpack is the roles in the church. What are the offices that are given uh, to a New Testament church? And so in the weeks to come, we're going to be talking about the church. And uh, this morning, we'll be considering who is the foundation of the church. If you would like, you can start turning to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. As I said, Pastor made very clear last week that there is no other foundation for the church other than the Lord Jesus himself. And so as we go into our text this morning, we go in with that understanding, and we're hoping to go in and unpack a little further what is meant by that. The key thought I desire to convey this morning is this, that the blessings of God are experienced in Jesus through the church. Let me say it again. I, I hope to convey today that the blessings of God are in Jesus through the church. Uh, a few months ago, I had the opportunity of receiving a gift from one of our students. It was back when we were doing our Bible study in our home. And uh, they gave me this, this wonderful gift of a pair of what I've come to understand are called sneakers. Uh, anyone recognize what these are? Nobody recognizes what these are. So these are what are called Air Jordan High Tops. Okay, and uh, I really didn't know anything about these shoes, and honestly, I wasn't particularly drawn to them until I saw the reaction of our students. When they saw me holding these and wearing them, they were very excited. I think part of it's because for the first time, maybe ever, I looked like I had some style to me, right? <laughs> and so what I've learned about these shoes that's so interesting, though, is that many people will not wear these shoes in order to keep them in mint condition. You know, there's, there's people who won't go to certain places because they don't want to get mud on their shoes. Uh, they don't want to get a scuff mark. One of my favorite things that they have, don't, want, don't want to have happen, excuse me, is what's called a crease. You can't really see it, but a crease is when you bend like this, when you walk, you create creases in your shoes. So basically with these shoes, you have to walk like this. You're not allowed to bend. The reason I share all this with you is because this is a really nice pair of sneakers. There are benefits to wearing these. They're comfortable. They, they're stylish, evidently. But the problem with these sneakers is you can't enjoy the blessings of those things unless you wear them. If you don't wear the sneakers, you don't get to receive the benefits of the sneakers. And what I'm hoping to convey this morning through our time is this reality that the blessings of God, though they are rich and though they are many, if we are not in the context of a church to receive them, we can't have them. It's kind of like my pair of shoes. If I want to experience God's blessings through Christ, I have to put my shoes on. I have to be in community with other believers. And so this morning, as we get into it, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. If you will, go ahead and turn there, and let's stand together. We're going to read all 23 verses this morning. Chapter 1, verse 1. And let's begin. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. 
Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Verse 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of this calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe." according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for your word. And that this morning we can open it and we can study it and we can come to understand it through the power of your spirit. I pray, Father, that you would guide us now and that you would draw us to yourself as we study your word. And it's, and it's this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, for the duration of our time, as you can see, the title of our talk this morning is The Foundation of the Church. And what I hope to do in the remaining of our time is cover three main points uh, to help convey why I believe that Jesus is the foundation of the church. The first thing that I want to do, though, is I want to look at the blessings of God. And the way we're going to look at that is we're going to observe the founders of our faith. Who are the founders of the blessings of God? A term that you will not hear in the word of God, that you will not find in our English uh, scriptures, is the word trinity. The word trinity is not found. However, it is clearly taught throughout scripture that there are three persons, one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we were doing catechism with the kids, I was taught that the sign language way of doing this is there's uh, three persons, one God, right? And so we believe that these three people, these three persons making up God, they together were the ones who created all things. And furthermore, they're the ones who are redeeming all things back from sin. They are making all things new. And so what I want to do is in these next 14 verses is just pick out a few things that each of them do because the reality is, Verses 1 through 14 are a message in their own. So I've got to just summarize through it. So the first thing I want to do is show us 
the role of God the Father. Look with me at verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so what we see this morning to start is that the role of God the Father is that he chooses us. He makes a choice. The word choice here refers to a, a selection by a highly deliberate choice for a definite purpose. Let me say that again. It's to select by a highly deliberate choice with a definite outcome. Furthermore, the word foundation found in here, this is what the word foundation means. Uh, it says, the beginning that purposely designs all that follows. And so when we put these two terms together, what we're seeing here is that God made a deliberate choice before you and I even existed. He made a deliberate choice before the creation of the world that he would choose us. And the context through which he would choose us is in Christ. And so as we look at this, it's this idea that God is choosing people, he's choosing us with his purposes before he even made things. And I think the thing that's important about this is that because his choice was made in eternity past, there is nothing that I can do to earn him choosing me. Furthermore, there's nothing I can do to cause him to reject me. He has made this choice in eternity past, which means that it is fixed. It's definite. When I think about this, I think about elementary school. I grew up here in the Detroit area. We had a lot of good sports teams back in the 90s, didn't we? We were doing okay back then. And I I love sports. I love playing sports. And one of my favorite sports was baseball. Uh, So I started off with t-ball, and then we did coach's pitch, and then you get to the one that's really fun, and that's kid pitch. And so I played baseball all these years, and then uh, it came time to try out for travel league. Right, so I try out two years in a row, and I get cut both times, cut from the team. And as you know, rejection is not, not nice, right? It doesn't feel good. Uh, I remember having a hard time struggling to hold back the tears in the car. My poor father's like, what do I do? He's, he's crying, and he got cut from the team. The reality is we don't like being rejected. It's hard. And here's the thing. My coaches, those coaches, and by the way, one of them hit me during batting practice. That made it all the better, Right? They made a deliberate choice with a definite outcome to reject me. My skill set, my relationship to them was not sufficient for me to be a part of the team. But as I thought about this, the good news here is that God, before the foundation of the world, he made a choice that even though I'm not worthy, even though I don't possess the skills necessary, that he would allow me to be a part of his team. Not only does he allow me to be a part of his family and to be a part of his, 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 his family, it, it, he gives me the power to glorify him. He gives me the tools to work for him. And so God has done this in spite of who I am, in spite of what I can do. He has chosen me. Uh, and, and how is this possible? Because here's what we know. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one who can stand before a holy and perfect God and say, God, you deserve to give this to me. I deserve this. Give this to me. No one can stand in that position. And yet, before the foundation of the world, God chose. He chose, before the foundation, a means through which we could be chosen. And that takes us to our next part, the Son. Without without the Son, we are all in a place of hopelessness. We are all in a place where we cannot be chosen because of sin. And so, the second part I want us to see is God the Son. Read with me in verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of of his grace. And so we see here that the role of God the Son is that he redeems us. The idea of redeeming is it's buying something back that was previously lost. Another way to put it is that there is a payment that results in freedom. There is a ransom paid that results in the freedom of someone or something. And so Jesus redeems us. He is the one who buys us back. Here's, Here's what we know. God created man without 
sin. God created us without sin. He created us to have fellowship and relationship with him. He even walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and had close fellowship with them. But we know that Adam and Eve, by willful disobedience, chose a different way. They chose to exercise their will against God. And as a result of that, we have what's called sin, the sin nature in our lives. And that sin nature results in death, a death that is spiritual in nature, meaning I can't connect with the Father, and it's also physical in nature, which means eventually my life here ends. But here's where the good news goes. Without, in order to be chosen by God, we must receive the Son. That is our way. That is the way to, to, to receive life. You know, I like to think of this, um, you know, Christmas is coming up soon. Something we like to do around Christmas time is we like to demonstrate love for loved ones by giving them gifts. Right? So we'll go spend money and we'll put them in these boxes, we'll wrap them up and put them under the tree, and then we just delight in watching them open them right? and, and receive them. And here's the thing about a gift. You know, I can go shopping, I can buy my wife a gift, I can wrap it, which my wrapping's horrible, but I can wrap it right, and put it under the tree, but it's up to her if she wants to receive it. The gift is there, the contents are there, but she has to open it. And I, I personally look at salvation in this way, that, that God has made salvation available to all, but it's only applicable to those who receive. It's as if the, gifts, the gift is there, the contents have been paid for, they've been delivered, and all one has to do is receive. But if we don't receive, we cannot have the blessings applied. Okay? And so as we think about this, Jesus is the one who redeems us, and in addition to supplying this gift... God, in his wisdom, gives us the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and he preserves this gift until Jesus comes back. So, verse 13 and 14, look with me. says this, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. I think it's important here we see in verse 13, it's this phrase, ye believe. This comes from the word pistuo, which it's this idea that based on the evidence presented, you make a choice. You take action. And so God has done the work. He has chosen us. He has redeemed us through his son, and he's offered sealing through the Holy Spirit. And yet, there's still this reality that I have to choose. I have to believe. And so the Holy Spirit, once we believe, once we accept, he comes into our lives, he indwells us, and he seals us until the Lord Jesus comes back for us. Here's the thing. We are the bride of Christ. Have you heard that before? And he loves his bride. He is coming for his bride. He will protect his bride. And the Spirit of God is the one who preserves his bride until he comes back. And so as we look at this, uh, the idea of sealing with a letter, a seal both signifies who the letter is from, and also who the letter is going to. The seal serves as a security blanket, so to speak. It keeps the content safe until the person receives them. And here's the deal. Jesus has paid for our redemption, right? His blood paid for our ransom, and the Holy Spirit of God is sealing and protecting us until Jesus comes and receives his bride. And so what we see here is that the triune God is involved intricately, not only in creating and sustaining all things, but they're involved in redeeming all things back from the power of sin. And so that's the first thing I wanted to share with us this morning is the foundation of the church. We wanted to look at the founders first. So in our statement, we said that the blessings of God, and the next part that we're going to talk about, are experienced in Jesus. Okay? And so if we look at me in verses 19 through 22, here's what we find. 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And have put all things under his feet and given him to be the head over all things to the church. So what we see here in the first few verses is this idea that God demonstrates his power to us, first and foremost through the fact that his son who had died and was dead three days was risen again. God's power is demonstrated through the resurrection of Jesus. And that power of God at work in the resurrection of Jesus is the same power that takes a sinful person like me, takes me out of the kingdom of darkness, and brings me into his kingdom. Right? So we can experience the power of God because it is, it's demonstrated in the fact that he rose his son from the dead. As a result of rising from the dead, we see that Jesus emerges victorious. He is victorious over sin and he is victorious over death. Two things that you and I have no power over. Two things that we are hopelessly without power to fight. He is risen victorious over both of them. And furthermore, it says that he is now ruler over all things on heaven and on earth. There is no name that even compares or comes close to his glory. No one can compete. And Jesus, and it says in, in the verses that Jesus has been given to the church as head. That means to us believers, to those of us who trust that God's way of salvation, his son, Jesus has been given to us to lead us. And, and I think what's important here too is this idea that, that Jesus fills all in all. And, and, and furthermore, it's this idea that our bodies serve as the expression of our head, right? My head gives direction and my body follows, right? And the idea is that without the direction of the head, the body does not have life, the body cannot have purpose, so my hands and my feet and my body basically is the manifestation of what my head wants, and it executes that. And in a similar way, the body of Christ, we are the manifestation of God on earth. God is accomplishing his purposes through Christ, through us. Jesus has chosen as ruler of all things, as the one who has authority on heaven and earth, he's chosen to work in and through broken people like you and I, to accomplish his purposes. And I think what's even more amazing is that he actually manifests who he is in and through his body. And here's the thing. The body, apart from Christ, we are powerless. And in, a, in an interesting sense, Jesus allows us to be a part of his work by pouring in and through us. Uh, John Calvin writes this of Jesus. He says, this is the highest honor of the church, that the Son of God regards himself as in a certain sense imperfect unless he is joined to us. Jesus' primary means of advancing his kingdom's rule, purpose, and even self-expression is us, his body. Now, let's be very clear. Does God need us? No. God does not need us to, to accomplish his purposes. But before the creation of all things, he chose and he put the plan in motion for the church to be the expression of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ. I think Paul says in Corinthians. Right, so everywhere we go, we're representing the kingdom and the rule of Jesus. And that happens outside the walls of this building. Those of you who are engineers, those of you who work in schools, those of you who go to school, like you are representatives of Christ everywhere you go because the head has chosen to execute his will through the body. So far this morning, we've identified that the blessings of God, the idea of being chosen, being redeemed, and being sealed, are experienced in Jesus. And the third part I want to show us this morning is that that happens through the church. 
We need to be connected and in relationship with other believers if we want to enjoy and experience the blessings of God. Uh, read with me verses um, 17 through 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I'm going to skip to verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So as I, as I think about this, as I process this, I am confident that we need relationships with brothers and sisters who are spirit-filled in order to connect, grow, and serve. We need other people who love Jesus, who are filled with his spirit, who can encourage us and who can push us in our walk with him. Uh, now more than ever, we are an extremely informed people, right? We have access to myriad of books on every topic you can think of in the Bible, you can hear anyone, any pastor, you can hear any of them speak at any time via YouTube, right? And you can go online and you can listen to any Bible translation that you choose. The one thing that I think none of those answer is the need for relationship. We need relationship. We need one another. I'm not downplaying the need for preaching. We need to hear the word of God. We need to be able to openly dialogue and discuss what we're seeing in the word of God, but you can't do that if you don't have relationship. We need one another. God, interestingly enough, has always been a God of relationship. And I don't just mean in creating us. Before the foundation of the world, God was completely satisfied in himself. He had no need for us. He has no need for anything or anyone. That's the definition of him being God. He is the self-existent one. And God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they were in perfect unity and perfect fellowship, and they were completely satisfied in one another. And it was not out of a need for something that they created us. It was out of a desire to share and to express what it means to be in fellowship with them. We have the opportunity to do that as believers. I think marriage is a beautiful picture of that, right? We have one man, one woman, who are distinct people who come together as one. And they together reflect that relationship, that connectedness that God has. Even, but with all that said, God is a God of relationships. He has made it so that we need other people. In Genesis 2, this is in context of marriage, but God says it is not good for the man to be alone. And I'll take it a step further. I believe it's not good for us to live in isolation. We need relationships with other people. To review from last week, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. This means a gathering of called out people. Right? So when we talk about the blessings of God or experiencing Jesus through the church, we're not saying you've got to be in a specific geographical location. You don't have to be under a certain governance. What we mean is that brothers and sisters who believe in the Lord Jesus, as they come together, they experience the blessings of God. Right? And so as we look at this, uh, in this portion of the text, Paul begins praying and asking God that the church would experience certain things. And I would contend that in order for these three things he prays for, for them to be realities for us, we've got to have help from one another. The first thing he says, he talks about the hope of our calling in verse 17. Nope, not verse 17. Hold up. Verse 18, excuse me. What is the hope of his calling? So he talks about the hope of our calling. We are here to encourage and remind one another of the hope that we have. We do this as we sing. We do this through the teaching and preaching of Scripture. We do this when we go out to lunch afterwards. Deuteronomy tells us that we're to do it when we rise up and when we lie down. It tells us we're to do it when we eat. We're to do it when we go on our journey. We are to constantly be talking about the Lord. 
and it's to be done in community. Right? And that's a primary way that we learn. It's a primary way that we grow. And so you and I need each other to remind each other of the hope that we have, the hope that transcends anything and everything that happens here and extends into eternity. What is the hope that I have? Here, his, this is in, in, in summary. Though I fail, I am accepted because of Jesus. When I sin, I am forgiven. When I struggle, Jesus too struggled without sin. When I am sinned against, I can freely forgive because I have been freely forgiven. When I have an enemy, I can love them and pray for them because I know at one time I was an enemy of God. And so here's the thing. Us together as believers, we have the ability and we have the responsibility to remind each other of our hope. Here's the deal. We all go through difficult things. People go through hardships and we need other people at times to be there with us, to just remind us that, hey, you're not alone. You're never alone. We have hope because Jesus is risen. The second thing that he prays for is that they would know the great value of God's inheritance in the saints. I mentioned this earlier, but we are supremely valuable to God. We are the bride of Jesus. It says here that we are God's inheritance. We are a special possession to him. And what we need to do is remind each other where our value comes from, right? Because everything in our culture is screaming that I have to go to this person or do this thing, and there's a constant draw for us to find fulfillment outside of the Lord. There's only one place I can go to be fulfilled and satisfied, and it's Jesus. He is the only one who can do this thing for you and I. He can know you completely inside and out, and in spite of who you are, love you. No one else, nothing else can do that. Now, marriage is an awesome picture, right? You're taking, again, two people, a man and a woman, come together, one flesh. They know everything about each other, right? And yet they love each other. It's a picture of the gospel, right? So my value is not in what I do. My value is in who has done something for me. The, the, the value I have that's attributed to me is that I'm made in the image of God, and even though I ran away from him, that his son Jesus redeemed me and pulled me back in. That's where I derive value from. The third one is this. The all-surpassing power of God towards the saints who believe. Again, this is, thinking, this is talking about the fact that Jesus, who died and was dead three days, was risen again. That is the power of God. The power of God rose his son from the grave, and it's that same power that takes a sinful person like me and redeems me and makes me new. And I need to be reminded of that because guess what? I still sin, don't you? I still fail. I still make mistakes. And I need to be reminded of the fact that my ransom has been paid. It's his power. It's his work in me. And I think a a phrase that is so helpful is this phrase that though I'm not able, he is able. I am not able. There are times when I am discouraged. There are times when I feel down. And there are times when I recognize that I cannot do what I need to do. But I rest in the fact that he is able. It amazes me how many people go through circumstances in life uh, within the church and who demonstrate just a faithfulness to the Lord in spite of difficulty. And I think part of why they can do this is because they know that though they aren't able, they know who is. God is able. So I need you to remind me, you need me to remind you that we have hope, right? And that we are valued and that God's power is at work in and through us. And one of the things I love about Pastor Mike is that he is a pastor who wants to be among you. He wants to be ministered to by you and he wants to do the same to you. The reality is we all need ministers to us. None of us can just look to someone else to do it. We need to minister. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this in Life Together, the goal of all Christian community is that they meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. You and I have a gift, a responsibility to bring the gospel of Jesus to one another, whether it's in growth groups, whether it's at lunch today, later on, that we are bringers of the gospel to each other. You know, as I reflect on my personal development and my growth and my walk with the Lord, uh, I had the privilege of growing up in a home where my parents loved the Lord and demonstrated what it looked like to know him, love him, serve him. Uh, I had the privilege of going to a, a church where people labored week in and week out to teach and to train. And I had the opportunity to go to Bible college where I personally was trained in theology and, and study the Bible. And the thing is, and, and all of those things are good, but the reality is the thing that had the biggest impact on my life was the relationships with the people the people who invested in my life. One of the things I love about Bible college is that you couldn't go anywhere without getting into a heated debate. You couldn't go to the bathroom, right? You couldn't go to a meal without someone bringing up something they're learning and, and just, just enjoying the fact that we're talking about the Lord. And so we need each other to sharpen one another, to encourage one another. And here's the deal, uh, especially those of you in growth groups right now. What you're going to find is that sometimes people annoy you. People will hurt you. People will disappoint you. And all we need to do is just to remember that I've done the very same to the Lord and he has freely forgiven me. We need each other even though it's tough. We need each other in order to grow, to connect, grow, and serve. Uh, as I bring this to a close, I, I think of, I think of a, um, a soccer team. Now, I used to think I was good at soccer and then I went to college and played one year and I learned very quickly, not good at soccer, right? I love it. It's a fun sport, but not great at it. And here's the thing. What, the thing with soccer is no one can claim to be a soccer player apart from a soccer team. No one can go out on their own and take the ball all the way down the field and score on their own. They need other people around them. No one can claim to be a leader if no one is following them. Right? And I would, I would contend with you that we cannot claim to have the blessings of God if we are not in community with other believers. I believe it was Bonhoeffer who said this. Um, he talks about how Satan's desire is to get a person alone. He wants you alone. Because when we are alone, sin and temptation have their greatest power over us. What's the first thing that happens when I sin? It's what happened to Adam and Eve. They felt shame. They went and hid. They went to be alone. So when I sin, when I fail, when I feel down, my tendency, our tendency is to isolate. And the very thing that we need to do is we need to press in. Right? When I've hurt someone, I need to go confess it to them. When I've sinned against the Lord, I need to openly, quickly confess it to them because freedom is just on the other side of that confession. Bondage is being isolated and being alone. Don't be alone. You never are alone because the Lord is with you, but don't be alone from other people. Verse 23 says this, the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We have the privilege and opportunity of being the expression of the Lord Jesus to those around us. Let's be people who are intentional in community. Here's my bottom line for us this morning as we close. The foundation of the church is expressed with this statement. The blessings of God are experienced in Jesus Christ through the church. Our hope is that you will be intentional in your relationships and find people who encourage you and challenge you to walk with the Lord. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word.
We thank you that we, a broken people, can come gather and we can lift our voices and proclaim that you are worthy and that you alone redeem us. Lord, I pray that you would use this time together as we worship, as we heard from your word, to draw us to yourself. Lord, I pray that each person in this room would come to a knowledge of who you are, that they might love you and serve you with their lives. And it's your name we ask, we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.